Well, I'm gonna say something you don't hear often in church, but here it goes. I love Santa Claus. Started as a young boy, went to see him every year. There's me and the big guy. We, aw, uh, thank you. We wrote the letters, we left out the cookies, and I can say without a doubt that I believe. Uh, one of my favorite Christmas movies is called The Year Without a Santa Claus. And there's this scene in there where they recognize Santa's not coming and this girl writes her letter to Santa and they're, they're playing Blue Christmas, you know. I'll have a blue Christmas. With, and, and she has this tear coming down and every time I see it, you know, I get a little sadder. And, but then at the end of the movie, Santa Claus does come and there he is in his sleigh. They're, they're playing, here comes Santa Claus. He's going down Santa Claus Lane and, and I feel just a little bit warmer inside when that happens. And, and, and the thing is, there, there came this time in my life as a 16-year-old when when Jesus came into my life and he replaced uh, Santa as the center of Christmas. But, but there's always gonna be a part of me that can rest in that belief in Santa because, because I was in it for so long, because it was so real to me. My family had the amazing opportunity to go to New York City this uh, Thanksgiving for the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. And while we were in New York, we went to see Macy's, which is apparently the largest department store in the world. And there on the side of Macy's is this word, Believe. Believe. What a great word it is. It's a powerful word. Sometimes we use it in different ways, maybe to convey something we think is going to happen. I believe that the Colts will make the playoffs. <laughs> really? <laughs> maybe it's personal. Uh, I believe that I will finish my master's degree one day. Uh, I started it in 2003, and I'm still, it's not that funny, um, <laughs> but I'm still trying. Sometimes you use it for encouragement, right? You hear those words, you know, I believe in you. I believe that you can do this. Sometimes it's motivating. Uh, I'm from Chicago, and in 2005, the Chicago White Sox used the song by Journey that I once sang up here, uh, Don't Stop Believing, uh, to motivate them as they went through the playoffs and became the first Chicago team of our lifetime to win a World Series. I'm glad the Cubs finally caught up this year. A little bitterness there. In sporting events, they have that chant, right? I believe, I believe, I believe that we will win. I believe. So let me ask you a question about what you believe. Maybe you believe in your team, you believe in your, your significant other, you believe in your family, yourself. You believe that you're gonna get that job, you believe that you'll accomplish that goal. But when it comes down to it, and to the core of who you really are, do you really truly believe that you are loved by God? Do you really believe it? Can you say, yes, I really believe that? And we hear that statement all the time, right? God loves you. It almost becomes a cliche. But is that all there is to believing it is, is just kind of accepting it like a law of nature? What goes up must come down. And God loves you. The, the, the grass is green. The sky is blue. And God loves you. Do you believe it? Yes? Okay, bam. There it is. Short sermons for the win. Let's pray, right? All right? Dream on. Uh, some of you got a little too excited about that, and that hurts a little bit, but, but let's see what God's Word has to say. And so you're going to want to get a copy of God's Word in front of you. Uh, find find uh, 1 John chapter 4. And as you do during this Advent se uh, season series, we've been hearing from people on the street. We've been hearing what they think about peace, about hope, about joy, and now about love. And so let's hear what they have to say about love. You know, the only consistency in how people define love is that they view it as a positive thing passion, a sustaining force, family, unconditional, 
Uh, I love what that guy said, said at the end there, loving people with their flaws and loving them for them. And you know what this says to me? It says loud and clear that people don't really understand what love is, but they wanna know what love is. Isn't that a song, right? I wanna know what love is. Now you're gonna have it in your head all day. So 1 John chapter four, and we're gonna start in verse seven. A little background on 1 John. Most scholars believe that 1 John was written by the same John who wrote the Gospel of John. And, and he was one of the sons of Zebedee, John and James, the sons of Zebedee, and he walked with Jesus. He was one of Jesus' 12, and he was actually a little closer than that. He was one of the, the three that were in Jesus' inner circle. Peter, James, and John were closer to Jesus than the other disciples. And this same John referred to himself over and over again as the disciple who Jesus loved. And, uh, and, and I believe, and some others do, that he used that term because of how the love of God broke him into a place where he was in constant awe of how much Jesus loved him. And so 1 John was a letter written to churches, and these churches, they needed some, some guidance and some correction for both some doctrinal and emotional issues they faced. And so let's dive in. This morning we have three things about love from these first verses, uh, from these verses in 1 John, and the first one is that God's love is the starting point. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 is where we'll be in a moment, but I'm the type of person who I need direction. Uh, I need to, otherwise I'll go crazy, right? I'm a list maker, a strategic planner. I need to know where I'm going so I can figure out how to get there. Uh, when I started as campus pastor at Jupiter Christian School in 2012, my first day of work, my boss left first thing in the morning, and I remember sitting there in July, and I, I was like, what do I do now? I have no idea. I'd like to connect with students, but, but it's July. They're not in the school. Well, I'll meet with some teachers. Hey, guess what? It's July. They're not there. And so I started freaking out a little bit because I didn't know what I was supposed to be doing. And over a little bit of time and taking just kind of composing myself and I had my dry erase board, I started making a list of who I needed to meet with. And, and, and from there, everything flowed. Everything changed once I had a starting point. When it, when it comes to God's love or when it comes to love, I mean, God's love is the starting point. Look at 1 John 4, starting with verse 7. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And so where does love come from? It comes from God. He is the originator of it. We didn't invent it, he did. And look at the end of verse eight, it says, God is love. That should totally be underlined in your Bible. God is love, it's who he is. Um, John Piper says this about this passage, he said, when, God says, or when John says that love is from God, he doesn't mean it's from him the way that letters are from a mailman or even letters are from a friend. He means that love is from God the way that heat is from fire, the way that light is from the sun. Love belongs to God's nature. It's woven into what he is. It's part of what it means to be God. You see, the sun gives light because it is light, and fire gives heat because it is heat. And so God is love. Love comes from him. And this is where we start, is we have to understand God's relationship to love. It comes from him in the same way that heat comes from fire, in the same way that light comes from the sun. Well, let's look back at verse seven and see how this impacts you and I. It says that whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. But then verse eight says the opposite, that if we do not love, then we don't know God. And so we're gonna go back to grade school for one moment here, and do you remember cause and effect, right? Do you remember that? When one, I thought this would be helpful for some people. 
Um, Basically, when one event causes another to happen, the cause is why it happens, and the effect is what happens. For example, because the storm came, the frog needed an umbrella, right? Because you were born of God, and because you know God, the effect of that is you love. Because you don't know God, you don't love. You ever wondered how come you're able to love? You love your family, you love your friends, you love a significant other, you love tacos probably, right? You love your, your team, you love your church, hopefully. I mean, how, how is that possible? Well, if it's true love, if it's real love, it's because you were born of God and you know God. And we'll jump back to this in a moment, but let's keep going, look at verse nine. Verse nine says that, in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we may live through him. And so the manifestation of God's love, the way we've seen it, the way we've seen God's love is through Jesus coming into the world. Hey, Jesus, who was God in the flesh, a baby in a dirty, grubby manger, coming and sacrificing his life on the cross for you and I. He did this so we could have life. God's love leads to life. Look at verse 10 then. It says, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And so God loved us and he sent Jesus to be, big word, the propitiation for our sins. And what that means is that he took our punishment upon himself so that we will not have to face the wrath of God. See, the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and that all get for their sin, the wages of sin is death. But Jesus has come and stood in our place and he has said, you know what? I am going to take care of that. I'm gonna take the punishment that, that you and I deserve. He took it upon himself and we don't ever have to face the wrath of God. You will not be punished for your sins if you are in Christ, ever. The punishment that brought us peace is upon him. The wrath of God is satisfied because of Jesus. Why would he do that? Because he loves you. And that's how we have seen the love of God. God showed his love through Jesus so we would have life. He loved us and he took the punishment we deserved upon himself. Verse 10 says, in this is love, not that we have loved God. And John Piper also added this. He said, the nature and origin of love does not lie in our response to God. That is not where love starts. That is not mainly what love is. Love is and love starts with God. And if anything we feel or do can be called love, it will be because we are connected with him through the new birth. You see, we were spiritually dead, but then he has come and given us life. We have new birth. We are made new in Jesus because he loves you. And so I just gotta ask, have you you grabbed a hold of that? Because he sent Jesus for you because he loves you. And even though it's not about your response, it's about him, right? He has taken the wrath of God upon himself for us. We do need to respond for it to be more than something we know in our heads. The grass is green, the sky is blue, what goes up must come down. God, no, no, to go beyond that, you have to respond to it, right? It has to be personal, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But I just wanna say, what, ask the question, What is keeping you, what is holding you back from grabbing a hold of the life that God loves you so much that he wants you to have? If you're a parent, chances are you want your children to have the best things. You want them to know how love, you love them, and even when they don't deserve it, 
you can, I, I, I mean, the whole naughty and nice list, like, let's be real, like, like, very few kids would really be on the nice list consistently, right? But you love them. In the same way God gives this, he, he, he gives us Jesus in our place, not because of anything we have done, not because of how we'll respond, but because he loves us, and that is awesome. And so we said this a minute ago, we said that because you were born of God and you know God, you can love, but the only way you were born of God is because he loved you, so I wanna just kinda put this in a sentence. Because God loves you, you can know him and love others, and that is the starting point. Because he loves you, you can know God and you can love others. And so if God's love is the starting point, let me ask you if this is where you start. Do you start your days with him? When you wake up in the morning, is he your first thought? Is he the first one who gets your time? Does he get the first moments of your day? Do you start your relationships with him? Whether it's friendships, business relationships, significant other relationships, do you start your plans, your goals, your dreams with him? Is he first? Because he loves you, and he's the only reason any of us know what love is. All right, I gotta call time out here. But people who aren't Christians can love, right? I mean, if they don't know God, how come it seems like anyone can love? We're gonna briefly look into that, and I wanna ask the question, what is the foundation of their love? Because they can be empathetic, considerate, apologetic, but is that really what biblical love is? Is it just actions? We always say love is an action, but are, or is it, does it have to do with your motives and, and your heart? Because someone who doesn't know God, they might love someone, but they are not imitating the love of God because his love is humble. His love is perfect. His love is unconditional. His love is the highest quality of love there could ever be because he is love. Uh, I, I really enjoy myself a good steak. I enjoy having a good steak. And so when we were traveling on vacation last month, we stopped at Texas Roadhouse. I hadn't been there in a long time. And I ordered a steak. And about five minutes into it, I thought about taking a bite out of my shoe because I thought that might taste a little better than that horrid steak that I was eating. Uh, which, If any of you like, have stock in Texas Roadhouse, please, I'm very sorry for that. But, but it was not good. And so, about I think it was a couple weeks ago, my wife and I, we went to Harry and Izzy's. And I had a steak. And you know what? It was a heck of a lot better. I mean, it wasn't quite Gibson's in Chicago, but it was really good. Both are steak, but they're not the same. Uh, yes, you can love if you don't know Jesus, but it's not Christ-like love. It's not you before me. It's not flowing from a heart that has seen the love of God manifested through Jesus and their place. Somebody who is dead, who is brought to life, and it's transformed you. It's not that love. Real love starts there. Because you can love, but you're loving with Texas Roadhouse love and not quite Harry and Izzy's love, right? You're settling for a, for a lower quality. And so let's move on. We have three things about love. God's love is the starting point. And second, God's love is contagious. God's love is contagious. Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us, verse 13. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. So in the same way that love comes from God, the way heat comes from fire, our light is from the sun, love flows from the person who knows God, period. If God loved us, we should love others. But this isn't like a thing that we ought to do, like, oh, I guess I should be more loving. This is what comes from us. This is who we become. 
because we love. How do, how do I know that I know God? Because I love. How do I know the spirit of God is in me? Because I love. I remember after I gave my life to Christ as a 16-year-old, um, I had this group of friends and we played street hockey literally every single day and, and, and one of my closest friends, his name was Jason and, and I remember one day he said to me, he's like, you know, I can tell like something's different. I said, what do you mean? He's like, you were a real jerk before. <laughs> Some of you who know me are like, wow, how bad was it before? But okay, that was not that funny. But, um, but I was like, what do you mean? He's like, you're just a lot nicer now. And what was that? Is the love of God was, was changing me. And as the love of God, if you experience it, you're, you're less passive aggressive towards others. You're, you're less selfish towards others. You work through conflict even when it's hard and uncomfortable. You ask for forgiveness even when it makes you feel really uncomfortable, right? You forgive when it hurts. You find common ground when there seems to be little. 1 John 3:16, John writes that we should be willing to give our life for, for others. And the idea there is that we meet the needs for others of others even at a great personal cost to ourselves. That's what love is. We meet the needs of others even at a great cost to ourselves. You see, the world knows that love exists. We saw that on the video. And it's filled with people who do loving things, but only God's love draws people to him. And so when you love, are you loving with God's love or the cheap imitation? In the Gospel of John, chapter one, verse 18, John says that no one can see God and live. He repeats that here in verse 12. He says that no one has seen God. But then he says, but if God is in us through his spirit, God can be seen in us, and look at verse 14, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. John just said no one can see God. No one can see him and live. What's changed? He's saying, yeah, yeah, but, but, but we've seen how have we seen? We've seen because these people love, because of how God's love is seen through people. We can see God. You can't see God as he is. No one can see God. He's the spirit who dwells in unapproachable light. But God can be seen through love, through the way that people love with his love. Isn't that, isn't that your story? Don't you have a story about how you've seen God's love through somebody? And, and maybe that started you on the journey that led you to follow Jesus. Maybe it was a parent a pastor, a friend. For me, it was Dave Brumbach and Erica Ziegler in 1992. And, and those two, the way that they loved me and the way that they loved Jesus, it started me on this journey. It, it, it helped me realize some things and see God in a way that I'd never seen him before. And it made it true of me, the statement we said before, which is that because God loves me, because God loves you, I can know him and love others. That is the starting point. My starting point was Dave and Erica reflecting God's love to me. I mean, it wasn't about them because it all started with God because at some point, somebody had loved them and they saw the love of God and it just kept going, kept going, kept going. But I saw them as they loved because God's love is contagious. And so how authentic are you? Well, look at how you love. Do you love sacrificially? Do you meet the needs of others even at a great cost to yourself? Because that's how God loves you and me. Do you love with truth? even when it's hard, even when it's uncomfortable, because that's how God loves you. I've heard it said before that all love without truth is hypocrisy, and all truth without love is brutality. I'm gonna say that again, let that sink in. All love, if you're all love without truth, there's no truth in your love, well that's hypocrisy. And all truth without love is just brutality. First Corinthians 13 says that love rejoices in the truth. 
And I say that because I think the Apostle John was an all truth without love guy until he met Jesus. And I relate with that because that's my story. Uh, I still default to the truth thing often. I'm still the guy who often feels like it's my role in this universe to point out where things are not true or where people are wrong and so forth and, and God is changing me. But you know what changes me? You know what, what God has used to lead me to be more loving? It's when I'm loved. When I start to see how much he loves me, when I start to see how much I'm loved by others, it causes me to grow in love and it changes my heart. And when I know, when I love others, I know God more. I start to see what he's really like. He loves me in ways that I could only hope to love others. His love is consistent, it's reckless, and it's deep. But did you know that you can grow in love? And that's our prayer, God help us to do that. We can grow in how we um, understand love, but did you know that we also grow in how we understand how much God loves us? And that leads us to our last point, which is that God's love is personal. Because we can grab hold of the reality that we grow in how we love others, but we also grow in our understanding of God's love for us. Because the longer you remain in something, the more you learn about it, and the more real it is to you. I, I've been married now for 21 years, almost, and the longer that I'm married to Leslie, the more that I understand about her, and the more that I understand about marriage. But if I were to leave that marriage, I would stop growing in my understanding of that marriage. But the longer I stay in it, the more that I learn, the more that I grow. If you're tracking with me, nod with me. It means you look very serious this morning. Back to verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. Okay, so God loves us and as a result we can know him. When we know him, we love others. And we can't do that without confessing that Jesus is the Son of God. We make that confession from the core of who we are. We're spiritually dead, but now we're alive. And when we realize we've been given this new birth, then we abide, we, we remain, we stay in that reality. And verse 16, verse 16 says this, so we have come to know and to believe the love God has for us. That, that's, that's everything right there. I mean, God's love is the starting point. God's love is contagious. And because of that, the effect of that is that we come to know and believe his love, and it's personal. But that phrase, come to know and believe, is not as clear in the English translation in the Bible as it could be. You might know that the New Testament was written in an ancient form of Greek, and sometimes the English translations don't quite capture what the author was intending. And the original language, that's a compound verb. It's two words with one idea. And that's one of the reasons I chose to use the English Standard Version this morning, because it says to know and believe. The NIV says know and rely on. The idea is that we come to know and we still know. We've come to know that God loves us and we're gonna continue in that love each day, moment by moment, even when it's hard, even when I don't feel like he loves me, even, even when I mess up, even when I run away, because God's love is personal. I mean, if I, men I mentioned this before, but if you follow Jesus, you have a story probably of how you have seen the love of God through someone else and you became aware of the love of God through a person, through some other means, you came to know his love and it changed everything for you. Romans 2.4 says that God's love, God's kindness leads us to repentance. 
That's the, the effect of God's love is repentance. It means you're going around your li- along your life and you're just kind of doing your thing and all of a sudden you become aware of God's love and how much he loves you and it changes things and you go in a different direction. God's love leads to repentance. It leads you to change direction. And so fast forward to today. Let me ask, are you experiencing God's love still? Because when I started here, I asked if, if it's really all about just knowing it in your head and in your heart that God loves you, you've accepted it, you, you know it, you believe it, is that really all that there is? Well, last month when we went to New York City, I, we had never been there before. Now I'd heard about New York, and I could speak somewhat intelligently if I, you know, if I needed to. I could tell you the Statue of Liberty was a gift from the French or something like that. I could, I could tell you about the Empire State Building because I've seen Sleepless in Seattle, right? Uh, you know, I, I could tell you about Central Park because I've watched Law and Order. Um, I, could tell you, I could tell you about the parade on TV because we watch it every year. I could probably even speak somewhat intelligently about some of the different boroughs of New York and so forth. I knew about the subway. I'd heard stories about it. But New York is not meant to be studied. It's meant to be experienced. And, and, so, and, and we experienced it. Here's some pictures of that, right? We stood on the base of the Statue of Liberty, and it's amazing, I'm telling you. Uh, we stood on the top of the Empire State Building. There's my wife and I at the top of the Empire State Building. We, we, we walked where the Twin Towers once stood. And it's just silent and sobering. We, we took a selfie together after the Thanksgiving Day Parade. And Rebecca is sticking her tongue out in that as usual. Believe it or not, that's the best picture we took. After our Thanksgiving dinner, we walked through Central Park. And we experienced New York. As a matter of fact, I had actually told my kids before New York all about the subway. But it wasn't until this happened that they experienced the subway. <laughs> those, are t- those are my two younger girls in the middle. Yeah, they're getting to know, nothing like getting to know some strangers, right? You see, now New York is very personal to us because we've experienced it. God's love is personal. You come to know his love, but you continue in it. You stick close to him. You walk with him. You experience him and his love. And the more that we remain in his love, the more we will know Jesus. The more we love others, the more we get to know him because we're being like him, right? As Christ is in us, as he's forming his character in us, we become more and more like him. Uh, Maybe this morning you're feeling a little complacent in your faith. Hear hear this, he loves you. You feeling lonely? He loves you. Feel like all you ever do is fail? He loves you. You feel like you could never make the people in your life happy? Well, he loves you. You feel like you've messed up beyond what can be fixed? He loves you. He sees you and he loves you. you. You being messy is not a surprise to him, right? God's not, he's not shocked by that. He knew we were gonna be messy. He knew we were gonna constantly choose evil and he still chose to love us. That's what the cross is all about. The cross is about fixing that. And so we're not hiding anything from him. He sees us, I mean, think about, right, right now, let's just think about the worst thing you've ever done. Just think about the worst thing you've ever done. Now tell the person next, no, I'm just kidding, don't do that. In that moment, that moment when you were doing that thing, he loved you as much as he ever has. In that moment, he wasn't turning away from you, he wasn't shaking his head, he was loving you. He's motivated by the reality of how much we need him, and that's why he came. And so when nothing makes sense, when everything's falling apart, when circumstances are letting you down, you can count on the reality that he loves you. And so if you're abiding in him, 
If you're remaining in his love because it's personal, here's just two things for you as we wind down. And the first one is to be assured. Be assured you cannot lose his love because his love never fails. The end of Romans 8, Paul writes that I'm convinced that nothing can separate me from the love of God. And I did this deep, in-depth word study on nothing, and you know what it means? Nothing. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. So right now, as you're here, you're hearing it, you're being aware of it. Hey, it, grab a hold of it, and once you've done that, be assured. And the second thing is to be persistent. See, following Jesus is a marathon, it's not a sprint. And so if you're walking with him, keep going. Persist in his love. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says that God's love always perseveres. And right now, I believe there are some people within the sound of my voice that desperately need to let the love of God lead them to repentance. Because you keep going back to that thing, and this morning God is loving you and saying, hey, I love you. You don't need that. Hey, I love you. Stop it. Hey, you think you're getting away with that? You're not. I love you, and I want you to come out of that. And so I want to ask, are there things in your life that are not worthy of his love? Are there things in your life that you're holding on to that are not worthy of the love of God, and it's time to let them go? Be persistent. Keep going. This morning might find some of you in a place where it's been a while since you've been really close with God. One of my consistent questions when I meet with people is asking them about their prayer life and their intimacy with God, and, and often it's kind of, well, not it's not too late. Get up and do something about it because you need to be persistent because he loves you. He really does. As a matter of fact, Isaiah 49, 16 says that he has engraved you upon the palm of his hand. Think about that. You are engraved on the palm of his hand. His hand's really big, in case you didn't know. Matthew 10, 30 says that the hairs of your head are numbered. Lower number for some of us, but he still knows the number Psalm 56, 8 says that he saves your tears in a bottle. No matter when you cried them, no matter who knows about them, he saves them. In fact, I want to speak over you what God says about you in Isaiah chapter 43. And you'll see it there in your notes, and there's a blank, and I want you to receive it. As the Lord is speaking to you, the blank is for your name. And so it's, fear not. Insert your name, Mike, Sarah, Olivia, Fear not, because I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, for I am the Lord, your God, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. Rest in that. You see, my, my belief in Santa as the center of Christmas changed when I met Jesus and I didn't remain in the belief the same way, right? He's still a part of things, but, but it's different because I'm not remaining in that belief. But I believe that God loves me because I've experienced him. And I wanna stay in that love. I wanna keep walking in relationship with him and keep believing that he loves me and I wanna experience him. I wanna let his love propel me to love others recklessly, to turn from the things that are not worthy of his love. But in the midst of that, I desperately need to be assured and to be persistent. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, it says that we love because he loved us first. Think about that. He was the first one to ever love you. You may think it was your mom or your dog or whatever. It wasn't. He loved you. The Bible says before you were formed in the womb, he knew you. And so I want to know, does he have your heart? 
as he has loved you, has that love transformed you? Has that love been contagious to the way that it, it changes the way that you live? Because he has called you by name. You are his and he loves you. Embrace that love so you can say, I believe. Let's pray. And Father, I just wanna pray that Psalm, or that Isaiah 43 over us. Now help us to believe that you have, and to grab a hold of the reality that you have called us by name. We're grateful for that. Thank you that when we walk through the waters, through the fires, that you will not allow us to be drowned, to be burned, because you love us. Thank you for sending Jesus in our place so that we can be free from the wrath of God. We will not be punished for our sins because you have taken care of that. Help us to respond to that and make it personal to experience your love. And some of us here this morning desperately need to turn. We need to turn for some things. Your love leads us to repentance. Lord, would you reveal those things and would you give us the faith to step out in obedience? Lord, help us to be people who love recklessly, who love with the highest quality of love, who love with your love. And not just those that it's easy to love, those that it's hard to love. Your word actually tells us that people will know that we are yours by how we love. And so help us to love in a way where people say there's something different about them and as a result, they know you. You are our first love. And so we surrender our hearts to you now in Jesus' name. Amen.